This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. It's showtime, folks. It's episode 47 of Game On here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. I'm Johnny Montepano. That's Hank and Dichter. Hank, good to see you. Welcome. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. How about those Rangers, baby? Absolutely. Yeah, back-to-back shutouts. Uh, a great weekend all the way around at Madison Square Garden because, Hank, look, my or even our New York Knicks, with a winning record this season. I didn't see that coming. I'm very, very happy. Now we'll see uh, as we get down the stretch of the season into the postseason. You know, let's get let's let's win a round. Let's, let's win a round, and let's have a great April, May, and June uh, in at Madison Square Garden. You know, there's a lot of Madison Square Garden news because uh, even St. John's made some news with hiring Rick Pitino. So definitely an MSG-filled a great weekend all the way around for everybody. But, uh, Hank, we've got a lot going on, as we always do here on Game On. And, of course, plenty of ways for you folks to get aboard uh, to comment on the show. And I have a good feeling that I think we're going to get a lot of comments. If we haven't already, I think we're going to get a lot of comments this week about this show. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Game On ETB. We're on Instagram at Game On underscore ETB. And, of course, our personal handles are scrolling there at the bottom of your screen. And, of course, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out at youtube.com slash ETB network. If you like our episode here, leave a like. If you're new, make sure to hit the subscribe button. And as always, hit that notification bell so you know when all of our programming is going to be coming out because we've got a a few things coming up this week and next week as well as we uh, inch closer to opening day in baseball, which is just a little over a week away. We've got, uh, again, this this show is going to be jam-packed. We've got baseball not in a good way, and I think we're going to spark a lot of uh, reaction to the baseball coming up. We've got uh, also a lot of football news with one Aaron Rodgers and Roger Goodell. This is going to be kind of a commissioner kind of episode when you look at it. We've also got March Madness, which is now in the Sweet 16, off of was an incredible opening weekend in the round of 64 and 32. We've got that and so much more. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could start the show here today in late March, Hank. But... I think we've got to get it going here with, and I and you know how I'm dreading saying this, but we've got to get it going with the World Baseball Classic, and not because it's in its home stretch. It's because the worst possible thing that you can get out of the World Baseball Classic is reality, and that is major injuries to two star players. You know, arguably the best closer in baseball last season out out for this season. One of the better second basemen in baseball out for at least two months, if not more. And this happened, you know, the the Edwin Diaz injury with the Mets here happened middle to end of last week. You know, it happened at night. So I woke up the next morning to this news. And the first thing I saw on my social media feed was Edwin Diaz. And, and, you know, when you hear that, the first thing you think about is, okay, he got hurt. And Hank, I went, I went back and I saw what happened and, I'm not a Mets fan, but I'll tell you right now, I saw that and I got 
the first reaction was, you know, first, of course, praying for Diaz that it wasn't the worst case scenario, even though we probably knew what it was. And number two, anger, really, more than anything. And what this was anger towards was this whole tournament, which I've had issues with from the day it was introduced. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, the injury to Jose Altuve, where he ends up breaking his right thumb and has to have surgery for it, and he's out two-plus months. And, you know, for the Mets and the Astros here, I think they're both going to be able to survive it, but it also is going to make things a little bit tougher. I think for the Mets, this is actually a very big deal because, yeah, can they survive the Edwin Diaz injury? I think they could survive it in the season. But if your goal for the Mets is to go make the postseason, make a deep run, that took a big hit this week. And my issue with it, Hank, is injuries happen in spring training. I get that. But when the injury happens – when the injury happens to a, when you're not on your team, when you're not part of the team that you're being paid by, and it happens on a national squad in a world baseball classic where I don't get what the point of the, if it is, that's where I draw the line. I, I have so much to say, but I'm going to get you involved here first with these injuries and where we go from here. So I'm going to sort of agree to disagree because, and even though I haven't really been following the World Baseball Classic, I think, generally speaking, the idea of different countries competing each other is fun. However, with that being said, my big issue is the timing of the whole thing. And ultimately, that's where I agree with you, because doing it right around the same time as spring training and like right as the baseball season is starting, I don't really like that timing and look. There's a reason why in the Olympics they got rid of they didn't they stopped letting the NHL players like go down there and compete in the middle of the season because we knew about the injury risks that would happen. And look, I get that they love like competing for their countries and I hate to like disrespect those who legitimately cheer for said country, but at the same time, like more often most of the baseball fans who are watching this would 10 out of 10 times they would take a Yankee World Series win or a Mets World Series win over, say, USA World Baseball Classic Championship. No. I don't know after this week, Hank. I got to be honest with you. I, if, you know, one of the many things we could discuss with this topic is the fact that there was a, a, a video put out this past week of players asking, would they rather win a World Baseball Classic or a World Series? And the far majority of them said the World Baseball Classic. And I'm sorry. If that is That's, the case, what? then... Wait, I'm sorry. Can I just be dramatic and use one yeah. of my catchphrases? Go for it. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, that's what I That's what I was saying. And I've had people respond to me on Twitter at Montebano NY, and I'm sure I'm going to get some more, and I will gladly debate you respectfully about this. But, you have, but players and fans telling me that they'd rather see a World Baseball Classic win versus a World Series win are not Major League Baseball fans then. And also speaks to the incredible problems that this sport is is dealing with. And yeah, you can people can tell me that we've got, you know, record attendance, record ratings, record social media, uh, record uh, merchandise. You know what? Th- that's fine. But you know what? That also speaks to how damaged Major League Baseball, and let's be honest, the damage the sport of baseball is in general, it has is. And that has to go to so many different things that we could spend three hours on. But yeah, it, it, 
I, I would agree with you, Hank. It, it should be about winning a World Series. You know, with the Yankees, I, I'd be, I'm looking forward to a World Series. I'm not looking forward to a World Baseball Classic where there's no gold medal like there is in the Olympics. And that's why I, I would argue and say the Olympics are better than the World Baseball Classic because, you know, you're competing for gold medal, not a trophy. It's during the season, not before the season. You know, these players have got to get – these players ramp up quicker than they should be ramping up which also puts your injuries at risk. You know, you have pitchers that are throwing over 100 miles an hour. You have players swinging for the fences. They, you know, they're trying harder than they do in the regular season. You, know, you have guys that are legging out, you know, inside the park home runs or ground balls. They're legging it out like they should be legging it out during the regular season. This shouldn't, I mean, that's that's one of the many problems I have with this. And yeah, you know, they want to play for the country, want to play for stuff, that's fine. But don't, I don't want to be seeing in April and May you uh, them you know, not hustling out of the box, not trying their hardest like they are in this. And that's what's bad. So let me go back to also what you were saying about the timing of this. There's no perfect time to play this. You you know, players ramping up earlier than they should be. Now, I don't like that. You're not going to stop during the middle of the season and play this. And then in November, you're not going to play November for two reasons. Number one, you're not going to have pitchers and players shut down, then start it back up again, then shut down again. And you're also not going to go up against the National Football League or college football or anything like that because, you know what, then your ratings and your stuff are going to take a dive. So there is no perfect time to play this. So I guess by default, playing it now is the right way. But when players are, are prone to, are more prone to injury in the World Baseball Classic than they are in spring training because they're trying harder, that's what I have. I have one of the many issues I have with this tournament. And, yes, Edwin Diaz's injury didn't actually happen in a game, but – it happened in a celebration that would not have happened in regular spring training. And for the player and for the people that are responding on my social media feed and telling me, oh, but did you see what the Mets did last year in practicing a World Series celebration? That is not the same thing as celebrating a World Baseball Classic win. And it wasn't even like they were celebrating a championship. It was a win they were celebrating in the World Baseball Classic. So that is not the same thing as practicing a, a World Series celebration. And if you actually watch that celebration in the, that they, the Mets practice, it wasn't a real celebration. So stop with that. All right? And now the Mets don't have their the best closer in baseball is now out for the season because of this. And now the Mets' chances of probably making the World Series, that that was their goal this year, have taken a major hit. Ridiculous. Like, yeah, I definitely that in that sense I pretty much feel bad for fans of the New York Mets and I mean look, you know what's tough? Like they just signed now they're going to have to rely on David Robertson to be their closer going beyond that. I mean, Johnny, you're a fellow Yankee fan like I am. Do you remember how much fun you had watching him load the bases and getting to into and out of trouble like they called him the Houdini. There's a reason he went by the nickname Houdini. I mean, I am on record for saying that that was a solid signing for them to get him as like an eighth inning guy. But now you not only lost your closer, but you essentially lost your eighth inning guy and now have to find the bridge to get to David Robertson. And I'm sorry, but you know, even though I like David Robertson, despite the fact that he made my hair turn gray, even though you can't really see it right here because of, his time with the Yankees. Um, yeah, that's a really, really big blow. And I think the closer is one of the more important members of a baseball team. 
So if the Mets finish in third place and lose it, lose out on the playoffs or even the division by like maybe a few games, I think you, I think it's definitely fair if Met fans want to blame the world baseball classic for them not making it now, granted, like that doesn't mean you can excuse whatever other failure their, their team may have, but that's neither here nor there. At least partially you can, you could say, Oh, the world baseball classic screwed us. Well, so I think they'll, the one thing I would say though, with that is I think the Mets are going to go out there and get some relievers. You know, they're still in it, which I still believe they're going to be in contention. I don't think this totally ruins them in that regard. I just think it, it hurts them making possibly a deep playoff run because Edwin Diaz was the best closer in baseball last year. Uh, so yeah, you can, you can put Robertson in there. I know that they're, they're looking at Zach Britton and you know that Steve Cohen is going to make a move before the deadline, the trade deadline and bring in another pitcher in here. Again, I don't know if it's as good as having Diaz in that role, but you know that they will try and go do that. Now, here's another point that I want to make here too. So Brandon Nimmo, who the Mets, the Met, the great Mets outfielder, you know, very good player, very solid player, somebody I wanted on the Yankees, but that's neither here or there. So mm-hmm. they gave him a huge extension, and he ends up going into second base in one of the spring training games just a couple of days ago, and he ends up hurting his knee. Now, fortunately, it's not a major knee injury. There actually isn't even talk that he could be ready for opening day, even though it looks like he might be missing a few weeks. But here's the thing with that, and this is the same argument I, I made when it came to Freddie Freeman versus Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux and, and Brandon Nimmo – both got injured while playing for their team that they're being paid millions of dollars for. Lux not, but Nimmo, he's getting paid about, what is it, like $20 million a year by the Mets for the next eight years? He was he got hurt playing for the Mets. And when Diaz got hurt, not on the Mets, the team that he's being paid $100 million by. Same thing, Gavin Lux, he got hurt in a spring training game playing for the Dodgers. Freddie Freeman got hurt playing for Team Canada where he's not even Canadian, he's that's another thing with the World Baseball Classic. These, these guys choose where they want to play. Freddie Freeman is playing on Team Canada. I get why, but it's still weird. Like Lars Newtbar and Tommy Edmond have no Asian roots yet. They're playing for, for Japan. I mean, I'm sorry. That, I can't take it seriously. And you're telling me that these some of these players in the World Baseball Classic final can't pitch or play because of a restriction. So, again, that just proves my point. What is the point of this thing? Is, is it pride? We don't need this for pride. I mean, I'm sorry. I, it, a lot of this is just not legitimate to me. And it's ruining the fact that now you have one of the best closers in baseball out for the season. You've got one of the better second basemen in baseball who's going to be out at least two months. That's a problem. In a sport that is having a tough time promoting and selling itself, now you've got two stars that are going to be out the first couple of months of the year, one who's going to be out the entire season. Yeah, no, I definitely would agree with that. And yeah, I basically, um, I've had a hard time really even getting into watching this World Baseball Classic, to really be honest with you. And the reason is because, like, I think like you, I pretty much had a bad feeling that there was going to be a catastrophe, you know? Yeah, and again, it's a catastrophe that would not have happened. I mean, Edwin Diaz may have gotten hurt in spring training, but... Mm -hmm. He was not getting hurt in a celebration in spring training. And again, people, you want to go back to that thing the Mets did last year? That was not the same thing as what the what happened in the World Baseball Classic. I'm sorry. It was not. And if Edwin Diaz is going to get hurt in spring training, at least he's going to get, and you hate to hear it, but 
he gets hurt pitching for his team. Edwin Diaz is not being paid by 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 the by the national team that he's playing for, and this just shows you how much I can care less about. I don't even know what team he's playing for nationally, but he's not getting paid by that squad. So that's the beef I have with this here. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, so another angle to this too is something I brought up a couple of minutes ago. So you hear that there's record attendance, there's record social media, there's record ratings and whatnot. Well, if that's the case, that proves to me the damage that Major League Baseball has de- is dealing with and is going to be dealing with for quite some time. And that all goes back to not the International Committee, but Rob Manfred. And I hate that I have to keep bringing his name up. But you know what? This might be the one thing that actually my debaters on social media and I actually agree with. And that is about Rob Manfred. And yes, if we want to put that up, because I think we're, this is the trend we're going with, it is good old Rob Manfred. Because once again, the damage that the, the Major League Baseball has suffered because of this guy is evident. If the World Baseball Classic is going to be the ceiling for baseball in 2023, mm-hmm. then the league and the sport are damaged. That's That's it. And, you know, when we go into the season with the pitch clock, which I actually totally agree with Max Scherzer about the pitch clock, by the way, and David Robertson also said that he doesn't like the pitch clock. You're trying to speed up the game. That's fine. It does need to be sped up. But the pitch clock, the the banning of the shift, the larger bases do not take away from what is a major problem in this game. And that is, you know, the fact that these players now try and swing with the fences. They try and throw as hard as they can. And... You don't, it's just not fun. So all of this, if you're telling me the World Baseball Classic is better than Major League Baseball, if there are players that are actually on camera saying they'd rather win a World Series than, the, than a World, the World Baseball Classic than a World Series, that's Manfred's fault too, because he's damaged this game for good. And yeah, we're two weeks away, less than two weeks away from opening day. I can't even get excited about it because now I got to worry that Edwin Diaz, even though I'm not a Met fan, I got to worry about that Edwin Diaz is going to be out for the season. It alters the Mets season. That Jose Atuve, if you're trying to grow the game for little kids, say what you want about Atuve and the whole cheating thing. You know what? He's still one of the better second basemen in baseball. He's out at least two months. That's not a good thing for the sport. I'm sorry. It's not. Well, can I just say, mm-hmm. good thing we have um, our other New York teams doing well. Yep. You know what this feels like? You know that meme, um, what did it cost you? Baseball season. Yeah. Did we get a good <laughs> Rangers in the next season? Yes. What did it cost you? The Yankees and the Mets. Hey, I'm, I have been locked in to March Madness this week. Uh, I mean, that's been fun. Uh, you know, hockey's great. You know, look what the Rangers have done. Remember they were, Remember when they were – you know, it's funny. Remember when they were 12, 10, and 5, and now they're, what, 41 and 19? You have the Knicks, mm-hmm. who I didn't think were going to have a winning season this year. Now, they've had a winning year and are playing with house money, although I feel like they need to win a round of the playoffs. You've got NFL free agency, and I spoke about this with Nick Morgison last week when we did a breaking stream about Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, you think my voice is going crazy. You know, the NFL is what Major League Baseball used to be in that it is now a 24-7, 365-a-year sport that we can talk about. Because you're now, 
every day with football since you know in the last month or so ever since the the since Super Bowl 57 we have been on pins and needles every day waiting to hear about you know Aaron Rodgers with about free agency with trades I mean I'm I know you and Tom with Big Blue Avenue have been pretty much putting out videos day after day because of all the moves the Giants have been making so I mean it's like there's no break in the NFL season meanwhile in baseball after the World Series is over you know, the sport goes away and it's only being talked about. Baseball's only being talked about now because of a controversial tournament. You know what it is? It is. Here's what I would say it is. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm not caring or anything, but the World Baseball Classic is an enhanced exhibition tournament where there's no gold medals. I mean, what's, what is the winner getting of this thing? It's getting a trophy, right? It's not getting a gold medal. That's why I actually would support the Olympics. And I support the the NHL players going to play the Olympics because they're playing for a gold medal. There's no gold medal. There's no gold medal in the World Baseball Classic, right? I mean, am, am I totally delusional? Uh no, not at all. So again, I, I need to find. I need to know. I, I and I say this to my to everybody that's watching today. And you can hit me up at Montsbell and Y at Ranger Hanky ninety six on Game On ETB or even ETB Network on Twitter. What good is coming out of this World Baseball Classic? And don't tell me pride, because I don't need a World Baseball Classic to show the pride. I love my country. I don't need to see it playing in the World Baseball Classic and see my guys get injured for a sport that I still like, even though it's damaged goods. Like, I got to be honest with you. I sit here right now before the season starts, and it sucks that Edwin Diaz, the best closer in baseball last season, is not pitching this year because he wasn't playing on the Mets. got hurt not playing for the Mets. It sucks that Jose Altuve, even though I can't stand the guy, I respect him, that it sucks that he's not going to be there the first two plus months of the season because of the World Baseball Classic. And yeah, it could happen in spring training, but it's one thing if it's your team. It's another thing when it's not your the team that you're getting paid millions of dollars by. It's not a good look. So I need to know what the, what's the benefit into all of this. The only benefit is it gives us more material to absolutely rip the big wigs that had major league baseball. That's the only one, particularly a certain guy. I mean, you know, I'm thinking of the Gorm abbreviation that we use a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what sucks? Here's another thing that sucks about it. I wanted to come on the show today, Hank, and talk to you about our Knicks who are, have for only the second time in the last 10 seasons had a winning, had to have a winning season. And that's going to have to be put off now because of this. So I don't know. You know, it's coming to an end this week. It feels like it's been five months, even though it's only been two or three weeks of an enhanced exhibition tournament. And then these guys have to go back to their old teams and they find out that they're only playing a few winnings each. It's, I don't know. You know what? I'm not taking any joy out of this. You know, guys are getting big name guys are getting hurt. And I don't know. I just, you know, I'm I'm losing my voice because of allergies. I feel like I'm losing my Twitter voice because I must have put out 150 to 200 tweets about this thing. It, it's it's not that good. And if you're going to tell me, oh well, I'm I'm driving up the social media angle to the World Baseball Classic. Well, I'll tell you right now, you don't need me to be doing that. Mm. All right. So I mean, we had such an unbelievable four days in the NCAA tournament, which we'll get to in a little bit here. We you know we're coming in. We have. The NFL draft, which is a little over a month away, which is, to me, so fascinating because they're really right now, 
I sit here a month until the, the, the draft, Hank, and I don't know who the number one overall pick is going to be in the NFL draft. Usually, more often than not in years past, we know what the number one pick is going to be. I couldn't tell you right now who the number one pick is going to be. So we have a lot more stuff. I'll tell you, we will talk. In fact, we are planning next week on doing a baseball preview show, but I will tell you right now. I mean, if I had to rank what I'm excited about, baseball is not number one. It's not number two. It's not even number three. I mean, it's down there. And that's never been, and that in years past, that's never been the case. I've gone into opening day feeling like a little kid jumping up and down for joy. And in the past three years, mainly because of Rob Manfred, but also because of the players themselves too. They're, trust me, they don't get a pass. This is not just Rob Manfred. I mean, he's, he's got a huge reason behind it, but there's so many reasons. I mean, you know, it's the philosophy, the, the way the game has changed for the worse. It's the players themselves who were just as guilty as Manfred is for the lockout last year and for the damage to the sport. But in the last three years between the COVID thing and all this stuff, I'm not even excited for opening day. And it should be a time where I'm jumping for joy, smiling, you know, looking forward to nicer weather, even though it's nice down here now. And now I've got this, and I don't know how I'm supposed to be excited. And again, you know, we've got to brace for the fact that the final's still coming, and what if there's another injury? It's not going to be fun, and it's a damn shame, too, because I also should be looking forward to starting up a certain baseball show. I hear it's a pretty good one. You may have heard of it. It's called Hitting for the Cycle, and I hear there's a chance you and Nick may or may not be on my first episode in a few days. I can either confirm nor deny that, but in any event, I'll probably be discussing a little bit of the World Baseball Classic. I'll try to get a summary of the games because I know that's probably what some of the viewers are going wa- to watch. And look, am I still excited for baseball season? I mean, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, if I'm the baseball content creator, I kind of have to be. But at yeah. the same time, like, it's hard for me to really argue the points that Johnny is making here. And it's a damn shame, too, because based on some of the highlights that I've seen that I've been seeing in some of the games themselves, I want to enjoy this world baseball classic. Trust me. I really do. I love the concept of it, but the fact of the matter is the timing of it is just horrible and not seeing some of the biggest stars play for a significant amount of time. It's bad for the game of baseball and especially one that's just been on a downward spiral spiral. And, Quite frankly, it's been on a downward spiral, really, for the past decade or two, probably a little bit more than that. Am I wrong? No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. And what I would say to that, Hank, is, and this is what I would tell everybody, if the World Baseball Classic is a great thing for Major League Baseball, then let me see all those great numbers in attendance, in, in ratings, in social media stuff carry over into the regular season. I'd be willing, and I would, I would put a ton up right now and tell you that that is not going to happen. You may get a, a bump on opening day, but it is going to drop off fast. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see this carrying over into the season. I really don't. And you know what? When it's opening day, Hank, Yankees are playing the Giants, and Aaron Judge is up, and the San Francisco Giants cannot put three men on the left side of the infield for him. As a Yankee fan, yeah, I'll be happy about it, but as a baseball fan, I'm not. Because you, you, I mean, what other sport do you, do you hear them telling you that you cannot 
play defense a certain way. You never see that in the NFL. You never basketball. They don't play defense. That's their choice if they want to play defense or not. And hockey, they don't tell you you can't play the neutral zone trap. Mm-hmm. As much as we would love to, as Ranger fans, stop see, stop seeing the Devils do it. But you know what? That's their choice, and they should be allowed to, whether they want to do that or not. But baseball can't shift. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. And also, by the way, that's not going to stop players trying to swing for the fences, striking out a ton, which is another thing that's destroyed the game. These rule changes don't stop the problems that baseball is still dealing with. So I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I'll be excited when, you know, player intros are there at Yankee Stadium, but it's still going to be lingering in my mind about all the problems this game is dealing with. And also, let me just say this too with the Yankees. Harrison Bader, Frankie Montas, uh, Carlos Rodon, Tommy Canely, Lou Trevino, were all hurt playing for their teams, for the teams they're getting paid by. Frankie Montas was injured in Oakland and told you that he was hurt when the Yankees got him, which is a whole nother thing. But they got hurt for the teams that are getting paid by. Edwin Diaz and Jose Otuve were, were hurt by teams they were not getting paid by. And that's, again, that's the problem. Well, we could spend the rest of the show talking about this, but I want to, uh, I think for your sake and my sake, I think we need to get off this. Yeah, come on. Let's, we, we got some good New York teams to talk about. We got some, we got, this is madness. This is Sparta. Okay, maybe this yeah. is Sparta, but I Mark love Sparta on. That's right. And we'll, well yes, that. there is Sparta because I mean, seventh seed and they're on the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, no, and we got a lot. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But speaking of New York teams, another big topic this week, and this would in almost any other week, Hank would have been our lead st- our lead story today. But again, it got trampled by this. Um, but the big, but one of the big things that happened this past week on Wednesday was Aaron Rodgers, who's been, you know, a big topic this off season. And he came out on the Pac McAfee show this past week and, you know, dragged it out like only he could, like I'm sure they were loving it too over there and announced that his intention is to play for the New York Jets in 2023. And yes, that noise that you hear in the background, folks, is our own Nick Morganson angrily banging the table for the 67th time in the past week that this is this is happening. Now, this still needs to happen. So let's just so we have to put that in a little bit of perspective. This they still need to work out a trade. I'm sure they're going to in the coming weeks. I would imagine that this is going to get done before the draft, but then again, at the same time, the Packers really have leverage in this spot. But Hank, I gotta tell you, I, I don't think this was a surprise. Um we've been hearing about this for a long, long time now. It seemed like the day that your buddy, Nathaniel Hackett, because we know how much you love talking about him, the day that that news broke that he was going to become the Jets' offensive coordinator just felt like that this was this announcement was the next step, and it was only a matter of time. So before we get into so much about this, I mean, when you hear about Rodgers talking to McAfee last week about this, I mean, to me, not a surprise, but you? No, not really. It's just a typical Jets move is what I would say it is, you know? Well, see, now that's the first thing I thought about was, unfortunately, I feel like the Jets are going down the same road that they've gone down two or three times already. I think it's a little, little bit different this time because this third time, I believe the Jets actually have the best team 
of those three prior times. And what I'm talking about is with Brett Favre and with Tim Tebow, I think the, the connection is they're trying to get quarterbacks namesake, but I believe this time they really are believing that this could be a winner. And I think, I think this might be their one missing piece because they won seven games last year with below average quarterback play. Let's just say now there's a lot that has, now first off this trade has to happen. And then two, you know, you're talking about a 39 year old Aaron Rodgers who's going to go to the AFC, which he's never done before, you know, kind of comparing it to Russell Wilson in that Russell Wilson spent his entire career with one team in the NFC and then went to the AFC and was, and last year was awful. That'd be the one thing I would think about here with Rodgers is he's going from a conference that he spent and the team that he spent his entire career to a whole different conference and a whole different division that he's never done before. And at age 39. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would take out with that, but go ahead. I mean, yeah, I think this is a move that the Jets are probably trying to make one because they're desperate. You could say it's a way to, you know, try to get fans to buy tickets to see the team. But I really think they have the feeling that Aaron Rodgers could lift a team that you guys said had a Super Bowl caliber defense. I don't know that I'd necessarily go that far to call it that, but it is pretty solid. I think the real question is, is he a quarterback that's really fit to play in New York? And I don't know about that 100%. Maybe, but he does have the talent, that's for sure. I I agree with you about the talent. Uh, The whole thing about playing in New York, I think it's, I have a feeling that that is going to be something that Jets are are not going to like, that they're going to get attention, but I think they're going to get a lot of negative press from this. And I'll tell you right now, when Aaron Rodgers is talking to McAfee last week and he's going out there and bashing the likes of uh, Adam Schefter and Diana Rossini. It's like, oh, this is the guy you want to play in New York who's going to be bashing media people. I'm like, first off, Adam Schefter and Diana Rossini are two of the best insiders in football. And, I don't, and I'll argue with people to the day I die about that. Um, so already bashing them on your, on your way going to the Jets is just such a solid, great idea, Aaron. Not. But, and I, I don't know, because here's the thing too. I mean, they're, the Jets are going to be making this move for what? One seat, one, maybe two years? I mean, Rodgers is 39. And he was not having that great of a year last year before the second half of the season and really before their rookie Christian Watson really helped them in the second half of the year. I mean, if, if Christian Watson doesn't come along, the Packers are not in it in November and December. So I don't really know. This could almost be like a like a Russell Wilson thing in that he could be – you know, breaking down before we even realize it. Now, I don't know if Rodgers is breaking down. I mean, he's going to be 39. And some of the things that I took out of that McAfee uh, interview last week were that before he went into his four-day darkness retreat or whatever it was called, he was 90 to 10%, 90% versus 10% on retiring. And then also that he had made this decision before coming on McAfee's show. So it wasn't like he was going on McAfee making the decision in real time. He made this decision a few days prior to it. So that I thought was interesting. You know, the whole talk about the whole Packers thing, we know the Packers have been basically trying to move on from him for a little while now. And now it looks like it's going to be Jordan Love there in Green Bay. And that division might become very interesting next season as well. But the other thing, so another angle to this too now is that this this trade still needs to happen. And what is it going to take to get Rodgers? You're talking – 
I, I would imagine it's going to be at least one, if not two first rounders. Yeah, I think you'll probably get a few out of Aaron Rodgers for sure. I think that definitely makes sense. Yeah, and the, we'll see. This is Joe Douglas, who I really don't believe. I mean, as much as he went out there with Woody to get this done, I this is still not a Joe Douglas decision. This, to me, is more – I mean, it may be partially a Joe Douglas, but this is mainly a Woody Johnson thing because, again, this is something that Woody's had a, a lot of problems with in his Jet tenure is he tries to go after the attention-seeking QBs, like a Brett Favre, like a Tim Tebow, and now we're talking about Rodgers here too. And I'll tell you what, though, Aaron, you better come over. If this does indeed happen, he's got to come over here and he's got to win because otherwise this is going to get very, very ugly. For a team that, that – I, I mean, I have to be fair. I was high on them last going into them last season. I'm still very high on them because, I, I mean, I like what they've done. I mean, they, they have two of the best young – players on offense in Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. Brees Hall was on his way to winning offensive rookie of the year before he tore his ACL last season. Garrett Wilson has the potential to be a number one receiver in this league. So I like what they're going at with that. Their defense is solid. I'm, I'm not ready to say Super Bowl defense yet because they have to force turnovers, which they never did last season, but their defense is solid. I mean, Sauce Gardner, Great def- young defensive players. So they're young guys. I mean, they are there. They hit on the draft last season. That was what also really helped and made me think that they're, they're going to take the next step. The thing is they need the quarterback, and they need an offensive line. Now, the quarterback looks like they've gotten that, if they do indeed get Rodgers. The offensive line's got to get work, though. That's the next step. And then maybe we could talk about the Jets being possibly a nine-plus win team because that division – Hank, I don't think Buffalo's as close as people think they are. Yeah, I think if anything, if we learned anything from last year, the Buffalo Bills definitely got exposed in the AF in that AFC divisional round where they got beaten not only at their own game, but in their own home by the Cincinnati Bengals. And you have to wonder how long wh- what their window is going to look like because the Dolphins have only gotten better. In fact, I thought they had a really, really good off season. And, you know, if you can get a healthy season out of Tua Tonga-Vailoa, I really think the Dolphins are going to be a scary team. You could put that on record, me saying that. I think the Dolphins are going to be a major threat in the AFC next year. Nick, I mean, uh, Hank, I'll say this, and this is what I was talking about with Nick last week too. Tua is the Dolphins season. Now, that being said... I love what they did bringing in Mike White because oh Mike yeah White, that's a great great choice for backup. It is a lot of money two years and sixteen million dollars for Mike White, but I'll tell you right now they brought him in in a great spot because Mike White to me is a great backup. He is not a starter, so I thought the Jets might have let him get away. Um, but to me, he can go down there and be a great backup because he's not a starter because he's not durable enough to be a starter. You know, two years, two injuries. That's not a good thing. But he can go back in there and fill three, four games if, God forbid, Tua goes through yet another injury, hopefully not a concussion. But if he gets hurt, then you got a solid you got a solid backup there with the likes of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle on the receiving side. Now, they did lose Mike Gusecki, who I did like at tight end. They did lose him to the Patriots, which I think is kind of a hit. But they've got good running back play. Uh, Dolphins, to me, are, are that kind of team that can put up 30 to 40 points weekly with their offense, as long as Tua's out there. And if he's out, I think Mike White is a 
capable enough backups. So definitely to me, the Dolphins have had a good stretch. And of course, now on defense, they got Jalen Ramsey last week, like we talked about. Uh, the, the Patriots, you know, they're kind of weird because they brought in Kaseki, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't know what I, – I still think they're at best a 500 team, but, you know, the Patriots can always be a team that can be spoiler, and we saw that last year winning both matchups against the Jets. So Rodgers coming in there, if this does indeed get done, um, I think it's them to give, – also given their schedule – I think would get them to nine wins, but they still need a little bit more. But I mean, I think it's a step in the right way, but it better work out because it's also next season is a huge year for their head coach for uh, Robert Sala, you know, his third year there, you know, Rogers coming over there is going to basically tell you that you've got to win nine, 10 games and make the playoffs. Otherwise you're going to be going through another head coach. I mean, what happens if, Rodgers goes there, and the Jets start 0-3. Well, he's going to get booed. Yeah, and Bruce you want to fire him and bring in – you want to fire him and make uh, Hackett the coach? <laughs> it's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on them. That's why, you know what, I, I'm kind of mixed about this. I'm not surprised, but I also think that it's not the way to go. I was always for Derek Carr, but Derek Carr didn't want them. Garoppolo, again, I don't think he was ever in play for them. So what other way are you going to go if you're the Jets? Yeah, that's definitely definitely a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, the only question is going to – I mean, the other thing – I guess the other question mark with this would be – that Green Bay, I guess, could wait to make this deal because of the dead cap money. That's another thing. I think it's there's a certain date that I think the dead cap goes down. So that's why they may also be waiting on to make this trade. So I still think at the end of the day, this is going to get done. It's just going to be a matter of when and not if for the Jets. And then if the, when this does happen, it's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on the organization to at the least make the playoffs next season. Yeah, definitely. So, something to watch here in the coming weeks. But this was a day, a decision that, you know, not like LeBron, but it we definitely saw it coming that it was only good, that Rodgers were going to come here. It all came went back to the to the moment that the Jets brought in Hackett, and you know Rodgers had expressed that too, and he was talking about that was one of some of the many things that came out of that interview with McAfee last week. So Rodgers to the Jets, his intention is to play for the Jets. Now that now the two sides have got to get it done. You know, again, Woody and uh, Joe Douglas both flew out there to talk to Rodgers. So I, I would imagine this is going to get done. It's just going to be a matter of when and what and how, how many draft picks and what kind of draft picks it's going to take for the Jets to get this done. Well, Hank, we had some big news that developed. You know, we were talking about, uh, good old Rob Manfred in the beginning of the show. And like I said, this was going to be a, a commissioner-heavy show. We had some breaking news that broke out on Monday regarding Commissioner Roger Goodell. And Adam Schefter reported this on Monday that Goodell and the NFL owners are expected to finalize a multi-year contract extension for the commissioner at next 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 week's owners' meetings in Phoenix. So uh, 
I guess Goodell's extension has been in the works since last season. And here's what I would say about this. You know what? Say what you want about Goodell, but I'll go out on record and say this. Goodell is the best commissioner in sports. Now, again, he's not perfect. He definitely has his flaws, but he's the best commissioner in sports. And, you know, we all know how much the owners love him. So it's not really that much of a surprise, but look at the NFL success. You know what? He's leading that, you know, there's of course things he can improve on. There's no question about it, but you know, Goodell's been a big reason for the success of the league. So it's not really that much of a surprise to me. Hey, Rod, Roger knows best though, right? <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yep. That is absolutely right. So I'm just, just looking about this, uh, So Goodell's 64, and they think mm-hmm. that, and some believe that this will be the final deal for him. And if you look at prior NFL commissioners, Pete Rozelle stepped down when he was 63. Uh, Paul Tagliabue walked away when he was 65. So I didn't even think Goodell was 64, but I guess then after this, the next thing you could see, what they'll be talking about in the coming years will be an emphasis to identify potential candidates to be Goodell's successor. And boy, imagine trying to walk into those shoes. Yeah, it's funny because, like, for all the criticism, yeah, it's true. You, He's going to, like, definitely have some shoes replaced. I mean, Goodell definitely helped with improving the popularity of the – excuse me – of Deanna Fell, even <laughs> if – he wasn't always, even if a lot of his decisions were very controversial, and they were. Well, I just, I just say this, and this is why I say Goodell's the best commissioner of the four major sports. We've documented before. Look at the problems that baseball's dealing with. Look at the issues the NBA is dealing with, and we're going to get to the NBA in just a little while here. But look at the issues the NBA has, and hockey. You know, hockey's on the rise, in my opinion. In the last couple of years, Hank. You know, you now have a great national contract with with the NHL, with Turner Sports, and with ESPN. I mean, look at how cool – I mean, here's a perfect example. Look at our Rangers last week. They were on ESPN on Tuesday against the Capitals and last Saturday night against the Penguins. I mean, the Rangers mm-hmm. are on national TV twice in a, within a week. I mean, that's that's amazing. And in those those two uh, appearances on national TV, they well they passed with uh, shall we say flying colors. Absolutely. And who was there to see it firsthand? That guy. That's right. Yeah, that's it's 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 great what what's going on over there. I remember we were talking about them at twelve ten and five, and now look at them at forty one and nineteen. Uh, it's been a great ride. Uh, but yeah, no, with Goodell, that will be the thing too. So if this is it's indeed his last contract, then the discussion about who's going to replace him is going to be a very fascinating thing because this is going to be a very, very tall task to try and replace the commissioner of the most popular sport in the country right now. You know, when we're talking about a 24-7, 365, I mean, it's never been like this before. I mean, we have... I mean, look, Nick and I did a full hour just on Aaron Rodgers on Wednesday. So 
it's it's definitely become like that. And you know, you've got the draft next month. You've got the schedule release happening in May. When the think about when the NFL schedule gets released and how much people how how much people are going to break that down for a schedule release. Mm-hmm. If that's not incredible or what? Meanwhile, you know, just to compare it to baseball, baseball decides to release their opponents for next se- for the following season during the season. So, just one of the many things. So, Goodell expected to remain commissioner for a few more years, what could be, though, his last contract as NFL commissioner. Well, Hank, it wouldn't be March without talking about college basketball. And boy, what an opening weekend we had in the NCAA tournament. You want to talk about, you know, here's another thing too, the best tournament or postseason event or cycle in sports, the best structure, this is it. So we had opening weekend last week. You know, I had my Monty moments previewing all four regions. I had a couple of good ones. I had a couple of ones that I totally missed on. But, you know, before I go through, you know, my takeaways from it, I don't know how much of it you got a chance to see this weekend, but what were your takeaways from uh, the first two rounds? Well, my takeaway is that March Madness continued to live up to its name. I mean, I thought the Princeton upset in the first round was nuts, but then... Excuse me, I'm so tired. Sorry about that. You you can put this in the funny reel, my yawns. But um, then you saw the the Fairleigh Dickinson, the number sixteen team, knocking out the number one seeded Purdue. And let me tell you, that was very shocking. I mean, the whole game it was going back and forth. I'm like, but I'm thinking, oh, but Purdue's going to pull away from this eventually, right? But no, it didn't happen. And then Kansas, like I was, I was at one of the bars watching across the street from Madison Square Garden, watching that Kansas game. And I'm thinking, oh, Kansas is doing well. They're the national champions. They're, they pretty much won this game, right? Look at my phone. Wait, what? <laughs> 72 to 71, Arkansas? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, so I'm not as surprised about Kansas because I had a tough time thinking they were going to get out of the West. I mean, maybe falling in the second round was a bit of a shocker, but I didn't have them going into the final four. I only had one number one seed making my final four. So I wasn't really that surprised. Uh, Just to piggyback off of what you were saying, the Purdue one was a shocker, but at the same time, I also didn't have them getting out of this weekend. Now, little did we know they weren't even going to make it to the weekend after FDU beat them. And that upset was, no, without doubt, the biggest upset in the history of the tournament. Now, remember, FDU got in basically on a technicality because the, they didn't even win their conference tournament. The team that was that did win their conference tournament um, was in the process of uh, transferring conferences, uh, leagues, I think. So they were not even eligible, were not even eligible for the tournament. So that's why FDU got in. And they ended up beating Purdue and almost beat FAU uh, over the weekend, Florida Atlantic. And I couldn't believe Florida Atlantic got past Memphis. I, Memphis, to me, I thought was the best number eight seed in recent history. So 
Yeah, that was a great story. The Princeton thing is just, I love it. I, I You know, you always need that Cinderella, Cinderella team. Last year we had St. Peter's. Something about New Jersey teams, though, Hank, and and major upsets. You know, we had St. Peter's last year, Princeton this year. I think, though, it's a tall task asking them to go up against Creighton. And, again, uh, we'll get to that in just a little while. So I would say that. Uh, what else are we looking at? Well, how about the fact that we have a Sweet 16? Here would be one of here would be my one of my biggest takeaways of the weekend. After this, going into next weekend, we have no Duke, we have no UNC, we have no Kansas, and we have no Kentucky, no blue bloods. And you want a fun fact? Yes. Those four teams that I mentioned: Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky. They all failed to reach the men's Sweet 16. Since it was created in 1975, there have been only three other years where this has happened, and that was in 76, 79, and 2021. Jeez. And remember, UNC didn't even make the tournament this year. They didn't even – they bowed not even to play in the NIT. So to go from being uh, almost a national champion to not even making the tournament was – a shocker to me. Uh, but some of these other schools, you know, Kentucky, there were point there were points that they didn't even look like they were even going to make the tournament themselves. And they're out. Duke, to me, actually, you know, they started out so slow this year and really picked it up. And then losing to Tennessee, who was missing some key guys, kind of not really that much surprising. I mean, it was a I have to say, though, for John Shire in his first year post-Coach K, I thought did very, very well with Duke because I didn't think Duke was going to be that great this year, and they ended up getting off to a slow start, rallied down the stretch to get to the tournament. You know, They did win the ACC, which was not a strong conference like it's been in years past, um, but I still think they had a very, very good year for John Shire. Uh, North, we talked about North Carolina. Uh, Kansas – you know, Kansas, again, that loaded West region that he put them in was just, you know, it was brutal. You know, the likes of UConn, Gonzaga, UCLA, just a very, very, they were going to be in a tough spot regardless here. So even if they survived this, I didn't know how much farther they were going to go. And, you know, Kentucky, I mean, John Calipari's squad just is not the same as it's been in years past. You know, not like all those guys that they do have go pro. You know, Kentucky's just not the same either. So no blue bloods in the Sweet 16 this year. Definitely very, very fascinating. But, yeah, some of the big upsets. You know, how about uh, one of the games I was locked into at the very beginning on Thursday, Furman over Virginia, which, by the way, folks, if you did pay attention to my Monty moments, I had I did call a Furman upset over Virginia. But just how that game finished with Virginia leading by five late, Furman gets a bucket, and then Virginia inbounds the ball, and their kid – Decides to just throw the ball up, just trying to get rid of it. And Furman recovers it and takes a three to win it in the late stages there. So that was cool. You know, Baylor being knocked out. That's another thing. We look at the, uh, we look at the South region. How about Baylor for the second straight year, not making it out of the second round, despite being a high seed like they were last year. They were number one. They lost to North Carolina. This year, they lose to Creighton, who I think is actually, as I said, the one team in that South region that can give Alabama a tough time. And we may be uh, on track for Alabama-Creighton Elite Eight. Uh, You go to the East, and 
Michigan State getting past Marquette. You know, a lot of people had Marquette penciled back in because of the whole MSG thing. You know, remember the East Finals at MSG. But, you know, I'm rooting for Tom Izzo, Michigan State squad, who's, you know, that university's gone through a lot in the last couple of months. So we'll see how they do there. Houston, number one in the Midwest. I'm still not sold on Houston, but I think they're in a favorable spot here to go take on Miami while Xavier takes on Texas. And then that loaded that loaded West where you have Arkansas and UConn and then Gonzaga and UCLA uh, is going to be fascinating too. So yeah, we opening weekend is always fun. It's full of great moments like Princeton and we'll see if they can make it to the elite eight as they take on Creighton. That's always cool. But uh, yeah, it's always fun. You know, those first two days, Hank, you know, you had games that weren't tipping off till after 10 o'clock on Thursday and Friday. And I'll be honest with you that first night that, there was one of those nights I did stay up until about one in the morning to watch it all. It's the best. That's why I say this tournament's the best. That that Thursday, Friday of the round of 64, there's nothing like it. You know, three t- three to four TVs on at one time. You go to a bar and you're you're next, you're going this way, that way, up, down, left, right. Uh absolutely fascinating. Fortunately, I didn't come in here today with a crooked neck or a pulled muscle because of all the twisting I've been doing. But yeah, the tournament's always the best, and it's the best structured one of them all. So that's what I would say about that. Yeah, definitely. I love it. And back when, like, I was in high school or college, you'd, like, I'd be having so many, like, tabs open on my laptop, too. Yeah, I, I would take I would take those days off every year. You know, unfortunately, with my main job, I took – I, this week was available. I did it last year. I took, I took the, I always take this week off if I can, if I can, not only for that, but for St. Patrick's day and everything else. So I can go out and enjoy it responsibly, of course, folks, and not have to worry about being up at three o'clock in the morning. It's, it's always a great thing. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where the sweet 16 goes from here. Now I'm not going to give away my prediction because I'm going to have a Monty moment about this coming out on Wednesday, but of the 16 teams that are left, and yes, folks, yep, Monty, I'll have a Sweet 16 preview for you coming out on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network, youtube.com slash ETB Network for that one. So I won't give mine away, but of the teams that are left for you, what's who do you, who do you like the most and what are you looking forward to this weekend? I have a weird feeling that UConn's going to go all the way. I've heard a lot of praise about them, and I feel like they've kind of gone a little bit under the radar just because they're – a number four four seed. But if you look at UConn teams historically, whenever they make the dance, they tend to go on deep runs. So definitely should be interesting to watch them. And Alabama definitely was another one of the teams that you and I were saying we should look out for. And I still stand by that too. Yeah, those are good. Those are two good teams. Like I, I can't argue with that there. I would just be saying this. If it's Alabama and Creighton in the elite eight, Creighton, to me, was the one team in that South region that I think could have given Alabama the toughest time. And Creighton is just – is I think just like UConn, Creighton's a sixth seed in number only. UConn, to me, is a fourth seed in number only because if UConn was in any other region, I think they would have been ranked higher. But they put them in such a loaded West with, like I said, the likes of Kansas, with UCLA, with uh, Gonzaga. And, you know, Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga – and UConn, if they were spread out, would have been all Final Four teams, in my opinion. You can make the case for. If they were all spread out, 
more so. But they loaded them all in the in the, in the West, and that's why I thought Kansas was going to have a very tough time, even if they made it through. But uh, yeah, I can't argue with you about UConn. I think they have a very good case to make. And what's going to be fun here too, I know we didn't put this in our rundown, but I'll just bring it up here real quick. You know, Rick Pitino is going to go back to St. John's on a six-year deal. Uh, he was introduced on Tuesday. So that's going to be fun to watch. You know, St. John's against uh, UConn with Patino there. You know, St. John's had been taking some strides. They had a, they took a step back this year with Mike Anderson. They fired him, and supposedly now they're talking about him possibly filing a, filing a lawsuit against this, the university, which I think is crazy to say how, where that's going to even go. I think they'll probably just agree. If that, ever, if that ends up being a thing, they'll probably just agree to a um, mutual agreement there. But, you know, Patino going to St. John's I think is is – going to make them relevant so think about the fact that you could have you know rangers hockey as great as it is nick's basketball being relevant again and possibly st john's being relevant again would make for a heck of a new york sports scene more so than it already is but he definitely brings some uh credibility and stuff to uh you know some winning ways in the past to uh st john's squad there as well but yeah should be a great sweet sweet 16 that's what i was trying to say starting on Thursday night. And again, yes, I will have a Monty moment previewing the Sweet 16 matchups coming up on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern here on the Empty the Bench podcast podcast network. And then uh, when we're back here for episode 48 next week, we will be down to the final four where there'll be just three games over two days. Uh, you know, it, it comes quick. You know, that's the thing. You know, you have this weekend and then after that, that's really it. You know, the, the two the two games on April Fool's Day and then the championship game on April the 3rd. And that day we will be pushing back our, our – that week we'll be pushing back our show, but more about that um, at a more appropriate time. So that's what's going to be fun to watch here in the NCAA tournament as it comes down the stretch here. If Alabama can keep it going, if there's going to be another surprise along the way, can Princeton keep – can Princeton as the 15th seed keep up their magical run? We will, again, discuss all about that coming up on Wednesday's Monty moment. Hank, big thing in the NBA that also broke this week too, and he's been a guy that I know you and uh, Nick were talking about on Game On a few weeks back, and that's about John Morant. So the NBA came out this past week and announced that Morant, the NBA announced an eight-game suspension for for what is being called conduct detrimental to the league. Now, Eight games doesn't seem like a lot, and it seems like it's less when the NBA already factors in the games that he's already suspended. In fact, he was eligible to return Monday against Dallas. Now he's not, still working; he's got to get his, uh, you know, self back into playing shape. But I got to tell you, I eight games to me, it's not enough. I mean, I don't know what they were seeing in this that warranted just an eight game suspension, especially when on top of that they already announced that. He was go already suspended. They were going to count the games that he was already suspended for as part of that game, eight game suspension. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't get where the NBA is coming from with this. Oh yeah, no, the stuff that he did was way too serious to warrant only eight games. I mean, come on. Yeah, de- definitely a big problem here. So the suspension covered the six games they had missed up until that announcement. That came out last week. Um, he was eligible to return on Monday against Dallas, but he he will need some extra time to prepare physically for his return, so maybe coming up later on in the week. And, Hank, we'll just keep it on the trend that we've been on 
on this episode. This to me shows the great leadership or leadership of the NBA. Not. So what is this? Silver slip up. It is in fact an Adam Silver slip up. Probably should put another word in there. It's another Adam Silver slip up. Because, I mean, come on. So Adam Silver in a statement says that Moran's conduct was irresponsible, reckless, and potentially very dangerous. Agree. It also has serious consequences given his enormous following and influence, particularly among young fans who look up to him. Okay. It also has serious consequences given his enormous following influence. If you want to put those words, that phrase, it also has serious consequences. Well, shouldn't we be following it with serious punishment? Nope. There, yeah, it's there not. should be. So eight games, which means the, he gave him an eight-game suspension, and the suspension covered the six games he already missed up until that announcement. So, I mean, come on, Adam. Jeez. I mean, again, I, I sound like a broken record in saying this, but how many in, how many situations has Adam Silver dealt with this year that he's completely dropped the ball? You know, again, a situation where the team had to step in first before the commissioner did. Whether it was the Nets with Kyrie Irving or it was the Phoenix Suns with Robert Sarver. And you wonder why the NBA is also going in the wrong direction here where we keep talking about the possibility of a lockout with the NBA now. So just continuing. So before I get back to you on this, I'll just finish up this statement here and try not to go off again like I've been going off all day here. He has expressed sincere contrition and remorse for his behavior. Ja has also made it clear to me that he has learned from the incident and that he understands his obligations and responsibility to the Memphis Grizzlies and the broader NBA community extent well beyond his play on the court. All right, so I guess then that was the reason why it was only an eight-game suspension. And this had all this all stems back, folks, if you're just wondering, because of an incident that was brought up. It was a, a video that was brought up um, on March 4th where uh, Morant was seen waving a gun at a nightclub, and that's where uh, this, this goes on. Again, that's what uh, Hank and Nick were, were talking about on the show a few weeks back. But, I mean, I don't get – I mean, you need to make a point here that this stuff is unacceptable and Lee a leader in all this. See, to me, I think he should have been suspended for the rest of the season. I I think that's where we, we needed to go. You need to prove a point that this behavior is unacceptable. And the fact that he can still come back this season I think is absolutely ridiculous. Not to mention the fact that you give him an eight-game suspension, but yet 75% of that suspension was already served. So you pretty much what the NBA did, Hank, was they gave him a two-game suspension. And he's not really learning his lesson either. That's one of the worst parts. So, yeah, I was going to say, as far as that goes, you know, is this is not the first time that this has happened with Morant that we've been talking about him uh, in terms of a uh, situation here, right? No. Now, Morant did talk with ESPN's Jalen Rose in an interview that came out last week, too. And Morant said to Rose, quote, honestly, I feel like we put ourselves in that situ- situation with our past mistakes, and now it's only right that we focus in on lock in on being smarter and more responsible, holding each other accountable for everything. 
I feel like in the past we didn't know what was at stake and now finally and now finally me having that time to realize everything having that time alone I realize that now I realize what I have to lose and for us as a group what we have to lose it's pretty much just that being more responsible more smarter and staying away from all the bad decisions so I mean it sounds like he does realize what he what the mistake that he's that he made but um in meeting with Silver, it was good, pretty much an open discussion. Obviously, he said things I need to be better at, but more of just showing his support towards me. I accepted that, and I also sent my apologies to everybody, to the league, myself, my teammates, my family, for putting that negativity towards all of us with a bad decision. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we know that Mar- we know that Adam Silver is a player's commissioner. That is That has definitely been... Um, discussed about before um but i i don't know you know if you're silver i mean when are you gonna get it you know the whole Kyrie thing was not handled right this is not to me has not been handled right the robert sarver situation was handled as about as poorly as i've ever seen anything from him handled and remember this is adam silver who was dealt who had to come in in the very in the very beginning of his commissioner uh, being commissioner, had to deal with the situation out in with the Clippers, and he handled that perfectly. You know what? He was bold. He um, took no nonsense. Lifetime ban, and ever since then, it's just it's gone in the wrong direction here with, with him. And you wonder why, with about as the season comes to an end here, and we keep talking about the possible the uh, the meeting, you know the the potential for a lockout. And the opt-out date being pushed back further and further. You wonder where this is going, right? I mean, this feels like MLB last, uh, last the two years ago all over again. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah, no, it does. I totally see it. And what about and and the thing too here? Here's another thing. What about this thing with with Silver? I know we're talking about Moran here, but I want to go with Silver for one second here. What about this thing that he's talking about that the NBA is proposing? You know that you have to play a certain number of games in order to qualify for awards. I mean, is that not ridiculous or what? I know that the NBA is dealing with a major problem here with uh, with load management days, but I mean, come on. Now, now, now you're going to propose in order to qualify for awards, you got to play a certain number of games. That's not going to solve this thing. No. So, yeah, I I don't know. You know. Leagues and leagues not looking good here. You know, as it come down the stretch, you know, the, uh, it's you start entering the last couple of weeks of the season where you've got a, some very interesting things going on here. You know, like I said, our Knicks are now over five hundred. The Kings finally have a winning season for the first time in sixteen years, which is actually a very very cool story. You know, West right now, which is really almost just becoming survival of the fiddle, fittest. When you look at the West, where you don't have Kevin Durant with the Suns again because he's hurt again, you now have John Moran who's still a little ways away from coming back with the Grizzlies, even though he should be suspended for the season. Um, You have this whole big debate about who should be the MVP of the league, whether it should be Jokic or uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, The East is loaded up. You know, I got my Knicks who are in, who have a winning year and in a very loaded Eastern conference. So this should be fun times. And instead what we're talking about again is Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yep, not a, not a good look here for the NBA as we come down the stretch. And again, you know, when the possibility of lockout happens and it's looking like that, that is going to be something to watch here too. Well, Hank, got one more big thing I want to talk about here before we get out of here. So going back to some football talk here for a second. So one of the big players in the NFL in the, in the upcoming draft at the time, a player that looked like he was on his way to being a high draft pick was Georgia defensive tackle, tackle Jalen Carter. And then he got himself into some legal trouble and he ended up pleading no contest to charges of reckless driving and racing. But that's bad. And what's also not looking good for him either is the fact that during his pro day, he was, he came in nine pounds heavier and he struggled at pro day. So not not looking good here for Jalen Carter, who was at the time in the beginning expected to be one of the, the top defensive players taken in the draft. I mean, there were even talks about him, maybe even the Bears were going to take him at number one. And then when he had his legal uh, issue come up, that ended up taking all that taking that ended up taking care of all that. But uh, Carter ended up. Uh, being sentenced to 12 months of probation, $1,000 fine, 80 hours of community service, and will tend to state-approved defensive driving course. So this also this goes back. Uh, also, another thing, too, he weighed 323 pounds at the pro day, nine pounds heavier than he was at the combine. He opted to only do position drills, which he didn't finish, and didn't participate in other aspects of the workout, including the 40-yard dash, cone drills, and other physical tests. Now, you know, sometimes these pro days, I don't take much out of them. But, you know, between this and uh, how good uh, Anthony Richardson, you know, the quarterback out of Florida, his combine, it's definitely now changed the landscape of the draft coming up here in another month. Yeah, and I think he, I have a feeling he's probably going to be falling down significantly in the draft with all that having been in mind now. Uh, it's not. It's yeah. It's not looking good for him. I mean, right now the best defensive player to me in the draft is uh, Will Anderson from Alabama. But yeah, Carter's stock is definitely taking a huge hit here. You know, there's two players that we've seen that I think are taking incredible uh, that are taking tremendous hits. Uh, Jalen Carter here, and also Stetson Bennett. Uh, you know, his incident that he had uh, in Texas a few weeks uh, a few weeks back. So yeah, there's definitely uh, going to be a hit now player could be looking for a defensive player but i mean this is now not only the the reckless driving incident which i know he did plead no contest to but also the, the pro day problems i mean it's that's definitely not looking that's not a good look so he's definitely going to the fall off the board and we may be seeing some other players you know step up uh for sure and i think that once the the uh reckless driving and racing situation happened, that was probably the last thing that ultimately helped the Bears trade down their number one pick. Also, the Panthers being that desperate for number one uh, to trade up to number one, which I think is – I can't wait to see what they're going to do with that pick because what they've been doing here this offseason, I like what they're doing. You know, They brought in Adam Thielen uh, just recently on a three-year deal from the Vikings – you know, Andy Dalton's going to be their their backup or maybe their veteran starting the year. I, I like what Carolina's doing here. The biggest question mark to me, Hank, is going to be where they go with that number one pick. You know, do they take 
Anthony Richardson? Do they take Bryce Young? Do they take C.J. Stroud? This is a draft that next month, I mean, I'm sitting here right now a month ago, and you can make the case they could they could take any one of those three. You would usually sit, you know, when we're doing our draft shows, I know you you guys over there, us here, and we're sitting here and we know, you know, we're just we're waiting for the number one pick, but we know where it's going to be. Right now, I tell you right now, I don't know who they're going to take because you can make the case for all three of those guys. But we do know that Jalen Carter's stock has taken a, a tremendous hit here for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I I thought the quarterback was probably one of the quarterbacks who are going. I still think one of the quarterbacks are going to be taken number one. But this is definitely a bad look for a guy who pretty much played for. Geez, I am sorry. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> That's okay. You're good. Who, who definitely had been playing for a talent factory in Georgia. So he definitely could have thrown away like his career for all we know with that incident. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I'm just trying to think here. If I look at where he could go, I, I don't know right now. It's, it, I really, I really don't. It's, it's definitely not, it's not a good look though. That's, that is for sure. He's going to definitely take a hit here a month away from the draft. And especially because when you dig deep into that reckless driving and racing situation, when you read what the police reports and what exactly came out of that, it, it's bad. I mean, he, he, it, it really is a bad spot there for Jalen Carter, and we'll see what where his draft uh, position ends up. But, Hank, uh, as I take a deep breath here, what has been a very, very uh, emotionally filled episode – uh, that is going to put a wrap on it here for episode 47 of Game On. So just a couple of uh, programming notes for you all. So I'll be back with you on Wednesday for the next Monty moment where we will preview the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. You know, does do I see Alabama still going all the way? How about Princeton? You know, what else is going to happen? How about the fact that we have no Blue Bloods for only the fourth time since the tournament went to this length? Uh, so we will preview that. Uh, we are also working in the next week or so to have an MLB preview show. So, again, best thing to do is to follow us on social media and also have your notifications set for that. And, of course, you know, we've got so much other stuff just happening. YouTube.com slash ETB Network for that. If you like today's episode, leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. You know, our subscriber crown is going up every day. And, you know, we have to thank, you know, Hank, me, Nick, Tom, uh, you know, Zan over there with uh, MMA Outsiders and everybody who has been doing such a remarkable job as we are, as like I said to you, you know, when we, when we launched the show and, you know, coming into this year, we are just getting started and that is indeed the case. So, um, you know, hit the subscribe button and, and of course hit that notification bell. So you are alerted to when all of programming coming back out. So Hank, you have yourself a great week. Mm-hmm. You do the same thing. Absolutely. I'll see you all on Wednesday for the next Monty moment. And, of course, Hank and I will be back for episode 48 of Game On next week.